Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and joining me today is my medical director, Rob Dixon. Good afternoon, Casey. Just to refresh the listeners that may be picking up here midstream, we're going to discuss the third entry in our serial killer series, abdominal pain. And what the serial killer series is, just for a quick recap, is an effort to really start with, rather than a diagnosis, to start with the chief complaint, because we're going to know the chief complaint as we're running to the call. We often teach CHF, we teach asthma, we teach COPD, all podcast topics we've already tackled. But how to get to that final diagnosis is the process that all levels of emergency providers struggle with. So to go from an undifferentiated complaint, unstable vitals, chaotic scene, and filter that into an organized differential diagnosis is really the nuts and bolts, the challenging part of the job that we do. So we've discussed chest pain. We've discussed shortness of breath. We're not going to spend time, just like in those entries into this series, with non-emergent chronic diagnoses, things that are seen in the PCP office. We're going to talk about the serial killers, the ones that are deadly when we miss them. And that's where we as emergency providers have to start our thought process and have to start our differential. So today we're going to focus again on acute abdominal pain. So when people call us with abdominal pain, Dr. Dixon, what are the things that can kill them emergently? Yeah, the top five that I think of immediately, Casey, and, and we're going to go into each one of these individually to show you some, uh, some differentiating characteristics is ruptured AAA, ruptured ectopic pregnancy, ischemic bowel, or some type of ischemia, maybe an inferior myocardial ischemia, so some type of infarction, visceral perforation, peritonitis, or torsion, whether that's ovarian or testicular. And I think where people struggle is kind of where an approach on where do you start like this? Like you, you said it before, our job is to make the very big, undifferentiated, chaotic mess a some workable diagnosis so we can get to a therapy protocol from there. Um, so where do we start with this? And just before we get into where we start, just as in the other episodes, there are other entries into the abdominal pain killer list. Uh, we're sticking with a th- uh, theme of five on this series. So those of you that want to add other diagnosis on there, six, seven, and eight, they absolutely exist. These aren't the only five, but to me, to us here at MCHD, these are the most common five and the five we want to focus on. So where do we start? Start in route. Approach abdominal pain calls considering these killer five diagnoses first. Think about ruptured AAA and what that is going to present like. And after we finish the discussion today, you're going to have a good picture of that. Think about ruptured ectopics in females of childbearing age. You know, is there ischemia, gut, myocardial, pain out of proportion? Uh, Do you have a perforation? Is it somebody that's at risk that's a, a peptic ulcer disease patient or somebody with a recent colonoscopy or a procedural potentially an iatrogenic perf, or torsion, testicular and ovarian. Both are going to be severely painful conditions. So think about these five when you're on the way. Remember that your vital signs are vital. Um, Use hypotension. Use tachycardia. um, Use these to your advantage. Stratify based on age and sex, right? It's highly unlikely that a 21-year-old male is going to have a ruptured AAA. On this list, the 21-year-old male is much more at risk for testicular torsion. 
a 90-year-old female is likely not going to have an ectopic pregnancy. But that 21-year-old female Let's hope not, doctor. Exam. What's the patient look like? This is, especially in this abdominal exam patient group, how's the patient laying? Are they colicky? Are they writhing? Are they still as a statue? Do you notice distension, rigidity? Always check your lower extremity distal pulses. Right? In AAA case, we'll talk more. That can be really important. And then think about the onset, uh, what provokes and what palliates, uh, the quality of the pain, the radiation, the severity, and the timing. And just like we've talked in the previous podcast, use that OPQRST framework to take you through the progression and the nature, the onset, uh, the checklist of how the pain started and how it's uh, progressed. And then use the medical history. Do they have a past medical history that puts them at risk for any of these disease processes? Just like we talked about ulcers for perforation, uh, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, hypertension for ischemic conditions. Uh, If they take a ton of NSAIDs, they may be at risk for visceral gastric perf or duodenal perf. So think about their vitals, think about their age and sex, think about their exam findings, their pain history, and then their medical history. So that's really a general framework of where to start. Tell us a little bit about a ruptured AAA and what what a AAA is and how those present. Because this is one where, in my personal past learning, it's easy to say AAA and not really think about what those word, words mean. So start off with what a AAA is. Right, exactly, Casey. This is an aneurysmal disease of the entire, all of the vessel walls, so the intima, the media, and the adventitial uh, layer. An aneurysm or a bulging of this thing, greater than three centimeters of diameter, is described as an abdominal aortic aneurysm. Uh, very commonly confused with the dissection. I think I see students and learners get those two terms uh, confused and they're vastly, vastly different. Remember an aneurysm bulges, 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 breaks, and then usually hemorrhages intraperitoneal. And so if it's, if it has an open space to flow freely, those patients never make it DD. They're dead right there. But most of them don't rupture there. Remember the aorta is a, uh, a structure is in the retroperitoneum, so it's covered by all this soft tissue. So many times, patients will present with back pain and belly pain. Sometimes I've seen with isolated hip pain, severe hip pain and hypotension. So remember, bulging greater than three centimeters, this is an abdominal structure, usually an infrarenal aneurysm, so beneath the takeoff of the renals, uh, and it's retroperitoneal. So many times, the patient may have a syncopal episode, have an acute onset or belly or back pain, have a syncopal episode because they've dropped their pressure and then they'll recover from their collapse and we'll only see them maybe normal tensive, maybe with a soft pressure. Remember, this is rare in less than 50 year olds. Not to say that it can't happen in some patients, but this is the disease of the seventh and eighth, ninth decades. Remember to check your pulses, right? Check those distal pulses. Many times they'll be absent if you're super lucky you're going to undress the patient and find an ischemic leg because it's going to be blue. It's going to be kind of a, a warning sign that's giving you the diagnosis. Don't forget, ABCs, make sure you get good IV access. These patients are going to need some type of, of uh, uh, fluid support or blood if you have it. 
And don't forget, point of care ultrasound may be helpful in these folks. So AAA, different than a dissection. Remember, a dissection is where the walls, the intima, and the media rip away. Looks like a shotgun barrel. Nothing is leaking out of that. The complication there is thrombosis because you've got this flap, this shotgun barrel. If you were a single-barrel shotgun, is now a double-barrel shotgun. In AAA, or abdominal aortic aneurysm, it's a, it's a bulge, 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 rupture, usually posteriorly. Just real quick for the listeners out there who are taking exams anytime soon, when we ask exam questions about AAAs, what patient is, does this mimic classically from an exam standpoint, right? It's retroperitoneal. It's acute onset, oftentimes with nausea and vomiting, so it can be flank pain. Sometimes the, the rupture can actually irritate the ureter and even cause some blood in the urine, some microscopic hematuria. So what's this patient end up looking like? It's a classic board question, right? It's renal colic. Right. So flank pain is not always a kidney stone. Think about AAA, especially in those folks greater than 50. And I'm just going to say it one more time. TAD, or thoracic aortic dissection, is a wall dissection through part of the three layers, whereas abdominal aortic aneurysm is an abdominal pain, flank pain entity where the entire aortic wall is diseased, bulge, 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 right. rupture. Couldn't agree more, Casey. Uh, on to number two. Casey, can you tackle that one and go on to ruptured ectopic? So ruptured ectopic pregnancies, this is one where this needs to be on our list every time we take care of a female of childbearing age with abdominal pain. If you throw in shock and or tachycardia, it needs to move up the list even more. So, so much so that a female of childbearing age plus abdominal pain plus vital sign, vital sign instability, and I'd argue even tachycardia without true hypotension qualifies here because they're young and they compensate. They have look for a shock index, right? When young that, and compensate. When exactly. that heart rate is greater than the systolic blood pressure, that should be a big, big warning sign that, of impending hypotension. So 20 year old calls for abdominal pain. You arrive with a pressure of 100 over 50 and a heart rate of 120. The patient is not overtly hypotensive, but what's their shock index? 120 over a hundred. So you've got a shock index of 1.2. So that's a patient that ectopic should be your number one on your differential until you prove otherwise. This is not an uncommon entity. Up to 2% of pregnancies will have ectopic presentations. And all ectopic means is somewhere outside the uterus. It can be the fallopian tube. It can be the ovary. It can be the cervix. It can be the intra-abdominal uh, lining of the liver even. The patient will not always know they're pregnant. So assume that patient that's 21 with abdominal pain is pregnant until you can prove otherwise. And as EMS providers, we're not going to be able to prove otherwise until we get to the hospital. So they're often very early. So this may be fifth, sixth, seventh week of pregnancy. So the last normal menstrual period may not even be late. They may not know they're pregnant. So don't rely on those things as hard and fast uh, rules. IV access, just like in the AAA, this is, a, this is a hemorrhagic shock condition. So we want access. We want multiple access points. If we need to drill, we need to drill. But these patients need access. And again, we're moving towards whole blood on EMS trucks, especially here in Texas. So this, this will be a patient where with this you know, discussion with your chief, with your medical director, these patients definitely could be qualifiers for whole blood. And then again, as point-of-care ultrasound is rolled out and put into the hands of our paramedics, 
This is definitely a patient where you could put the probe, look at Morrison's pouch, see a bunch of blood between the liver and the kidney, and in a 21-year-old non-trauma patient, female, that's an ectopic. So ruptured AAA, ruptured ectopic. Let's talk about ischemia and the ischemic options that we have for abdominal pain. Right, so lack of blood flow. This is rare, but very deadly. The mortality in these patients is up to 60%. And I think, let's start with mesenteric ischemia. Um, so the blood flow to the gut. And I think of this as a stroke to the gut. And just like any other stroke, Casey, it could be thrombotic, i.e. the clot forms in the vessel. You have a ruptured plaque somewhere, some injury, and that you get the clot in situ in the vessel that's leading to the, to the gut, that's nourishing the gut with blood, and you have ischemia. The next kind could be an embolic. So you had uh, 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 a thrombus, you had a clot in your left ventricle, uh, you're on your warfarin, but you haven't taken it for a few days. That thing gets out, gets into the systemic circulation, and goes instead of the brain, goes to the gut, right? These are usually, uh, when Casey said earlier, pain out of proportion is kind of the big teaching point or exam point on this. These patients will, it's an ischemic condition. So they're, it's just like a heart attack of the gut. Their blood supply is cut to the gut. The gut starts dying. Uh, and these patients get very, very, very sick. They're having a tremendous amount of pain, but their exam initially, their clinical exam is not terribly impressive. So it's kind of pain out of proportion. The most common is the superior mesenteric artery. Why? Because of its angulated takeoff, the way it leaves the aorta. And w who's at risk for this? Think of the same people that get strokes, that get acute coronary syndrome. These are the same people that you would expect to see this in. So they're people with chronic atrial fibrillation, with diseased hearts, uh, with known vascular disease, hypertension, diabetes, smoking, those same risk factors are, are very common in all three, all these ischemic entities, whether it's stroke, uh, coronary syndrome, or mesenteric ischemia. So what do we do with these patients? Just like Casey said, these are very sick subset of patients. Um, assess, pain control, multiple points of access. This is usually diagnosed by a CT scan, a contrasted CT scan in the emergency department. Uh, and, and don't forget the other type of ischemia, right? An inferior, we've seen it. It's not super common, but you can see it. Complain of belly pain, just don't feel right, don't look like, it's oh, oh rubbing the top of the tummy. Don't forget in these risk factor patients, i.e. diabetics and hypertensives and things, especially if they don't have an impressive finding on their exam, i.e., you, you know, they've got a, something that's suggestive of an appendicitis or a, some other abdominal process. Remember to get an EKG, right? Especially in your diabetics, in women, in, in folks that may present atypically, many times it may be an inferior MI. So don't forget inferior MI and those EKGs in those particular, in those sub, particular subset of patients at risk for it. Uh, and then beware of myocardial ischemia. It's a nasty player and these patients get very sick. So moving from mesenteric ischemia, which you mentioned pain out of proportion to the exam, and I think sometimes out of proportion to what in the exam. And really what we mean there is that if you take a mesenteric ischemia patient and you push on their belly, oftentimes that doesn't necessarily make it worse, and they won't be distended, and they won't be rigid. And if you think about the process that's going on inside the abdomen in mesenteric ischemia, they've got a clot or an obstruction or a blockage at the takeoff of, say, the superior mesenteric artery or the SMA supplying most of the midgut. 
And so it's, it's a visceral ischemia. So really painful, but pushing on it is not going to change that. When we change the abdominal exam and when we have that guarding and the rebound and the rigidity, that's from visceral perforation. So that leads us into number four, peritonitis. And peritonitis really is just a general term for irritation of the, the peritoneal lining of the abdomen. And in mesenteric ischemia, there's no irritation of the peritoneum. So you're not going to have peritoneal signs because you've got ischemia. Now, oftentimes this is termed a surgical abdomen, and you're going to see those things. Rigidity, so the belly is going to feel like a board. You're going to have guarding and rebound, so the patient's going to guard you and, and push you away. What rebound is is when you push in and let go, the pain is actually worsened uh, by, that, by that mechanism. Again, I don't, the sensitivity and specificity there is probably pretty terrible, but these are things that we see in the textbook all the time. In other words, these are just super tender patients who are very protective of you touching their abdomen. Yeah. What can cause perforation? Peptic ulcer, duodenal ulcer, uh, perfed appendicitis, perfed diverticulitis. Uh, all of those things can cause uh, visceral perforation. Much less common since the discovery of H. pylori and the ad advent of H2 blockers, uh, Pepsid, Zantac, uh, proton pump inhibitors like Prilosec and Nexium, but we still see it at times. So when we, when we have a patient with the really classic guarding, rebound, peritoneal signs, what do we want to do for those folks? We want to get IV access, multiple sites, probably sounds a bit like a record player at this point. We want pain control. These patients are going to be really uncomfortable. And fluids, pressors, if hypotensive, um, and obviously take these folks to the emergency department where they're likely going to be diagnosed the same way as the mesenteric ischemia folks with uh, CT plus or minus contrast in the emergency department. That leads us into our fifth and final. We've hit ruptured AAA. We've hit ruptured ectopic pregnancy. We've hit mesenteric slash myocardial ischemia, perforation, and we're going to wrap up with ovarian and testicular torsion. Tell us a little bit about ovarian and testicular torsion, Dr. Dixon. Right. Casey, this is an animal that's a very acute onset, right? This acute onset, it's very, very uncomfortable for these patients. They're going to be in a lot of pain. Um, I think a couple of keys here is in the subset of patients specifically with testicular torsion or really any of the, or the uh, ovarian torsion, it can present as, as kind of a diffuse lower abdominal pain. So you've always, 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 especially in kids, have to check the, the genitals, the testicles of kids complaining of abdominal pain, right? Remember, this is a, a torsion is a dynamic process. It can come, it can tors and untors. And what do I mean by torsion? So in the ovaries or the testicle, the blood supply is in a structure, in a tubular structure going to it. And as things move around, that tube it's in can twist, causing a disruption in that blood supply to the testicle or to the ovary, which the worrisome thing is, is that that testicle or ovary dies. This is a very time-sensitive emergency. Remember, time is tissue in everything. Um, how do we diagnose these? We use, it, it's not a perfect way. The, the gold standard is to surgically explore these, these patients uh, to look for uh, the presence or absence of blood flow. The surrogate 
uh, test we use is Doppler ultrasound. What do we do? We just compare one side, one testicle, you have two. We look at the other side and say, does the blood flow look symmetric in both of these? And A, is the patient having pain? Remember, as we said, though, these, this is a dynamic process. I've seen them tours and untours and actually seen them have a normal ultrasound and ultimately have this diagnosis. So just remember, ultrasound is not a 100% test. Uh, patients that are still having significant pain should be referred to a surgeon and have a surgical exploration. And just for a little anatomy before we finish, the ovaries and the testicle only have one artery in. So if you twist the ovary or the testicle on its pedicle, you've disrupted all of its blood flow. So that's, that's really the anatomical basis for this disease process. And folks that have polycystic ovarian syndrome, for example, testicular tumors, torsion is much more likely, both in ovarian and testicular situation, if the ovary or testicle is abnormal to start with. So that's just another, another little tidbit to remember. So that takes us through the five, ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm, ruptured ectopic pregnancy, mesenteric ischemia with myocardial ischemia in parentheses, visceral perforation, uh, torsion, ovarian, and or testicular. So remember, all flank pain is not renal colic. Check the dorsalis pedis pulses, and as uh, Dr. Dixon mentioned, take a look at your patient's legs, especially when they're elderly with that flank pain, maybe a syncopal episode, and vascular risk factors. Point-of-care ultrasound was mentioned a couple times on this podcast. It's likely the future here. Uh, we're, we've ordered some new ultrasound products here at MCHD, so this may be something to keep keep uh, in the back of your mind for future efforts. Elderly abdominal pain patients are sick in general, whether they're ruptured triple A's, mesenteric ischemias, visceral perforations. Uh, Greater than 65 with abdominal pain have a 10 to 12% mortality versus a STEMI, which we sound alarms and run around like crazy chickens with our heads cut off, has a mortality of around 4 to 5%. So don't blow off the elderly folks with belly pain. They can be really, really sick. Young female with abdominal pain and a shock index, it's ectopic until proven otherwise. And remember, they don't have to be hypotensive. They can have a pressure of 100 and a heart rate of 135, and their shock index is 1.35. Don't forget inferior MI as a potential cause of upper abdominal pain. Get the EKG, take a look. And as always, if you have questions, concerns, ideas for future podcasts, send us an email at the podcast email, podcast at mchd-tx.org. Leave us a like or review wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll talk to everyone again soon. Thanks. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.